Hey guys, welcome to Reels and Records. You're probably noticing the abrupt switch up in my choice of movies here, but the idea popped into my head and it would not pop out. This this is episode 13, so of course I had to talk about the soundtrack, soundtrack to Taylor Swift's Long Pond Studio Sessions film. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get so much judgment for this, but... Let's hope I don't talk for two hours straight about the folklore lore alone. The folklore lore. Wish me luck. Let's get into it. This album altered the whole course of my life. Um, and when I say it changed my life, the course of my life, I'm being serious. I, One of the films that I submitted to get into my um, Fine Arts Center film class, my little prestigious little film class in high school, was a My Tears Ricochet music video starring my best friend Libby, who you'll meet later in the podcast because I interview her. Um, but it got me into that class, which is the class that probably got me into college because it's all I had going for me. So I'm being serious when I say that it probably changed the course of my life. It immediately whips me back into that time period of my life whenever I listen to it, the time period when it came out, I think 2020. And I can confidently say that it's my favorite album of hers, ever. I've been a fan of Taylor Swift since I was probably six or seven years old. It's definitely a nostalgia thing for me. Um, I had an original Fearless CD. I had her Christmas album on my iPod shuffle the minute I got it for Christmas. It's safe to say I am a credible source here. So I'm going to take this entire episode to kind of sort out the folklore story. I want to talk about the connection between a majority of the songs, talk about what they mean and what they mean to me, why they are as special as they are. So let's start out with the obvious storyline in the album, the love triangle between Betty, James, and August, um, or Twosome, Augustine. If someone completely unfamiliar with this album were to hear that, they'd probably feel completely in the dark, so I'm going to explain it just a little bit. Throughout the songs in Folklore, Taylor tells a cohesive story about three teenagers, our main character being Betty. Betty is dating a boy named James who spends a summer with another girl, technically unnamed but assumed to be named August or Augustine, and I'm going to call her August. Nearly every song ties into the story, each from different perspectives and telling different parts of the story, with the exception of a few, but... Um, I'll talk about those later. The fun part about this episode is that I basically grabbed a bunch of my friends and I interviewed them, um, one for each character in the story. So I have an interview with my friend Libby for Betty, talking about Betty's songs. Um, I'm going to talk to my friend Lola all about the uh, August songs. And I'm going to talk to my sister, Carson, all about the James perspective songs. And then afterwards, I'm going to kind of go over my favorite songs um, and all of the extras from the album that don't necessarily fit under that one person's perspective. So I'm so excited to talk about it. And I hope you guys like this episode. It's so different from what I normally do, but I'm so excited and I had so much fun making it and I hope you like it. So let's get into the first section. Um, let's talk about Betty with Libby. Okay, here I have one of my greatest friends ever. I trust her opinion with my life, especially on this topic. Um, we've been friends for somewhere around eight years, which is crazy. Um, but I want to let you introduce yourself mostly. So just tell us 
your name and for fun i should have prepared you for this i'm sorry <laughs> i should have told you for fun just tell us your favorite lyric from folklore it can be any song oh no <laughs> okay hi i'm libby um oh gosh lyric from all of folklore i th- okay i think if i had to pick one song from mm. folklore like that i think is just lyrically the strongest out of all almost all of taylor Swift's songs it would probably be the lakes yeah just because the words that she uses like just insane yeah all right so let's start with cardigan let's talk about cardigan i feel like it sums up a lot of betty's emotions and what she went through yeah (laughs) (laughs) so this song is definitely betty looking back on the relationship like it's already ended yes i mean it starts with one of the first lines being when you are young they assume you know nothing so it's obviously her looking back and thinking about how people treated her in this part of her life. Mm-hmm. I love that line. It's always so good. Because the the chorus is, well, the pre-chorus is when you were young, they assume you know, know nothing. And then it goes into the chorus, but I knew you. Mm-hmm. Like, she, she knew. But yeah. yeah, lines like, a friend to all is a friend to none, chase two girls, lose the one. I love that line. Yes. Because it has a double meaning there. No, I literally wrote that one down. That was one of the lines that I wanted to talk about because it chase two girls, lose the one. It's obviously talking about August and her and her relationship with August, which is something that you don't see a lot in these kinds of stories. I I think just like talking about the other girl and not in like a bad light. But then it also goes back to the song, the the first song in the album, which is The One, which is a very interesting choice that Taylor made to start the album with The One instead of Cardigan. Mm-hmm. But Cardigan goes back to The One, Chase Two Girls, Lose The One, which is, it's just yeah. such a good play in, with lyrics there. Like It is. Yeah. Especially because, like, yeah, obviously, if you chase two girls, you're going to lose one of them. But the cool part is you're going to lose the one, like, the right answer because of chasing two girls. Because the exactly. right girl is going to step down. How do you feel about... Because despite, obviously, Betty being angry at James, I feel like there's a lot of love in this song, which is really interesting. Like, she's looking back with, like, pretty, like, high spirits, I feel like. yeah. Like, she really appreciates her, what they went through, even if it's over now. Right. I mean, like, the line, you drew stars around my scars, like, shows Mm -hmm. that she basically, like, she really did love him when they were together. But now I'm bleeding is the next line. So it shows, like, it shows that it, like, she's looking back in this sense, like, I'm able to recognize that it really did hurt. And I really did love you. There's so many. There's, there's so. I'm there's sorry. Almost, I'm going through the lyrics. There's so much. There's in this almost song. too much to like, even be able to talk about. <laughs> we should give up. Let's just give up. <laughs> <We should> just <laughs> give up. <laughs> um, I will just yeah, sit here and read the whole thing. Me too. To I you. when I was first writing the script, I like pasted all the lyrics in, and I was like, okay, I have to use one part, and then I couldn't 
cut it down. But I want to talk about the bridge because it's so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have no better describing words. I just keep saying everything's good. Um, but I knew you'd linger like a tattoo kiss. I knew you'd haunt all of my what ifs. The smell mm-hmm. of smoke would hang around this long because I knew everything when I was young. And then we go back to, I knew you'd curse me for the longest time, chasing shadows in the grocery line. I knew you'd miss me once the thrill expired. Yeah, no. But you'd be standing in my front porch light, and I knew you'd come back to me. <laughs> I mean, so the whole good. bridge just goes back to how she starts the song, which is, when you are young, they assume you know, know nothing, but I knew you. And then the bridge is all of these things that she knew would happen and they did happen. Mm-hmm. And yet she still like, she still gave him a chance. And I feel like that was kind of Betty's whole character was just like, even though she knew that he was the way that he was, she still wanted him to be better. And it's so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's so many things in this. And we were just talking about how it connects to the one. And I definitely wanted to talk about the connection between the yes. two. Because she does say, chase two girls, lose the one. Which is a reference to the song, The One. Um, and I feel like they have similar overall meanings because both of them are looking back in a relatively positive light, too. Um, right. Like, we have much more evil, conniving songs on the soundtrack, and I feel like these ones are pretty <laughs> positive. <laughs> so let's talk about the one. Let's talk about Thought I Saw You at the Bus Stop. I didn't, though, because that's also really similar to Chasing Shadows in the Grocery Line. Like, mm-hmm. I thought I saw you, but I didn't. Know. Just, like, this kind of haunted feeling that she has after this relationship. Mm-hmm. I think, I think just kind of generally one of her greatest lines in this whole album is, you know, the greatest films of all time were never made. Mm-hmm. Like that one just hits. It's so, it's so poignant in the way that the line is a heartbreak almost, you know? Yeah. It makes you feel the way that she's feeling. Yeah. Because then because there's this like, like sense of loss of what you don't right. even, you never even fully had in the first place. The whole what if thing is almost more heartbreaking than the, oh, we we did work out and then it didn't work out. It's like what we could have worked out. What if we had worked out, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that also relates to Exile, too, because there's, you know, the whole I think I've seen this film before, but I didn't like the ending. Yep. I, <laughs> I'm a sucker for movie references, obviously. And so those hit so hard. But I also, Betty is such an interesting mind because she she knows better I think we were talking about that earlier she knows she knows better but she's still going through it she's very self-aware lines like and if you never bleed you're never gonna grow but it's Mm -hmm. all right now so I really love her perspective on that we were something don't you think so roaring 20s tossing pennies in the pool that's my favorite line ever (laughs) wait I'm trying to find a line give me just a second (laughs) Oh, here it is. You know the greatest loves of all time are over now. That mm-hmm. one just goes back to the um, the other ones we were talking about. The greatest films of all time were never made. Yeah, that's a, that's a crazy line, especially... I don't too often, like, connect the, the songs and folklore to Taylor's actual life. 
but mm-hmm. I feel like when when all that stuff went down, you know, mm-hmm. I immediately went to that line and I was like, man, oh, she yeah. wrote that and she knew. Um, I also want to talk about how this song is really simple. Um, like it has great one-liners, but a lot of the chorus is like kind of nursery rhymey where it's just, it just is so simple. I don't know how else to describe yeah. that. Where it's like, and if my wishes came true, it would have been you. And then like, but it would have been fun if you would have been the one. I feel like those are really generic lines, but I think it's used in a really like useful way. Like it, it's really beneficial to like kind of dole it down to its most simple form there. Right. Uh, I, I, as a writer, just reading through her lyrics, I just like get so excited about them because they're literally poetry mm-hmm. like there are these things that poets do to create poetry and she does them in so many of your songs her songs like I don't know how else to express this but she's literally a poet exactly like the alliterations like roaring 20s tossing pennies in the pool like it just like flows off the tongue and mm-hmm. like she's a lyricist and a poet and it's like She's she's so talented. She, she, she's so talented. She we have a couple other songs that I think are Betty songs. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people don't really rope them in with Betty. So, like, Mad Woman, The Last mm-hmm. Great American Dynasty. That's oh, a big girl. one for me because I genuinely do think that Betty is Rebecca in The Last Great American Dynasty. No, I went and, like, <laughs> I researched this when it first came out a lot. And, like... Betty can be a nickname for Rebecca. Like, usually it's Becky, but, like, if you don't want to go by Becky, like, you can go by Betty. So this is a thing that people do with their names. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I full, like, 100%, 100% wholeheartedly believe that Betty is Rebecca. And, like, this is her when she's older. Yeah. The last Great American Dynasty specifically. And then... The Last Great American Dynasty has, like, line after line that goes back to Mad Woman. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> do we want to talk about we that? We do want to talk about that. <laughs> okay. I love okay, The Last Great American it. Dynasty. It has so much packed into it. Like, yes. It's just <clears throat> full of references and stories and the most vivid imagery ever. Oh, yeah. The whole album is a story, but just the song, The Last Great American Dynasty, is its whole arc. Like, it's it's a whole little story in the in the big story. Mm-hmm. I don't, this the song's insane. Do you want to talk first about the storyline of The Last Great American Dynasty, and then we'll tie in Mad Woman? Yeah, so it starts with Rebecca... Uh, yeah. Again, talking about how we think that Betty is Rebecca. Uh, Rebecca rode up on the afternoon train. It was sunny. Her salt box house on the coast took her mind off St. Louis. So it's setting the scene here. Yeah. um, With kind of a new character named Rebecca who um, is moving on from a different part of her life, St. Louis, whatever that means. Um, to her new house, the Saltbox house on the coast. Mm -hmm. And then introduces a new character. Bill was the heir to the Standard Oil name and money. Um, So it's like, who's this guy named Bill? The wedding was charming if a little ghost. There's only so far new money goes. They picked out a home and called it Holiday House. So 
all of that right there in like the very beginning sets up everything you need to know about the rest of this song. And also the interesting fact that Taylor lives in Holiday House is so fascinating. Interesting. That's crazy. Oh, that's, that's I wonder crazy what that connection actually Whoa. connection could be. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll get to that later because it's in the bridge later. But yeah, it is. Yeah, let's talk about their parties were tasteful if a little loud. The doctor had told him to settle down. It must have been her fault his heart gave out. Um, he's dead. <laughs> he is. Bill, Bill has passed. Bill is gone. So um, now it's just Rebecca. Now it's just Rebecca. Oh, let's talk about the chorus, actually, because the entire chorus is made up of of whispers around the town about this, yeah. about Rebecca. Yeah, so it, it goes off of, it must have been her fault, his heart gave out, and they said, and then in the lyrics here, it's actually in quotes, so it is other people talking they said, there goes the last great American dynasty. Who knows if she never showed up, what could have been? There goes the maddest woman this town has ever seen. She had a marvelous time ruining everything. Close quote. So it's almost like they, I'm feeling a little like blame in the lyrics. Maybe that like she came, married him for his money, killed him. Mm-hmm. Which, right? power to her because, wow, <laughs> that's so inspiring. now this next verse she's alone she's has so much money and she is having the time of her life basically yeah (laughs) she gave up on the rhode island set forever basically she like flew in all her friends and she had big parties and she had rich friends and she went through the money and all of this stuff and that wait (laughs) This is about, is okay, and losing on card game bets with Dolly, is that like Salvador Dolly, like the, the painter, the artist? Oh, I, I feel like I heard I something know. about that. Let me look it up. What's her last name? Harkness? Yes. Okay. The I Outrageous so. Life of I Rebecca Hark- Harkness, Taylor Swift's High Society Muse. Yeah, Which, so yeah, Rebecca we knew it was a real, a real person, person because it's a real house. Um, but let's talk Which, about yeah, she talks her. about at the end of the song. Yeah, let's see, let's see. I'm looking at an article right now from Vogue. I love this. Okay, Harkness wrote in her scrapbook that she set out, yeah, she set out, in quotes, to do everything bad. She did something bad. (laughs) That's Um, but it's what um, inspired the lyrics. She had a marvelous time ruining everything. Um, it said she had three husbands. She married her first because she had, quote, nothing else to do. <laughs> they got divorced. And then she married her second husband, the Standard Oil heir, William Hale Harkness. Bill. Bill. Mm-hmm. It says she was catapulted into high society. Although she came from a well-off Midwest family, William and his fortune put Rebecca in a different social stratosphere. Let's see. Let's well, kind of going back to how Rebecca's definitely Betty, like talking about her life from the Midwest, like all the songs like The One and Cardigan and like even August, I would say, are so obviously take place in like a small town. Like, small town Midwest, so... That definitely is a connection to be made. Yeah. It says that when she died in 1982, Harkness had demanded her ashes ashes be put in a super expensive jeweled Salvador Dali urn. So I think she was friends with that guy. That's actually crazy. She was losing on card game bets with him. That's the guy who painted the, like, 
um, melting clocks picture. Now let's talk about the bridge. They say she was seen on occasion pacing the rocks, staring out at the midnight sea. And in a feud with her neighbors, she stole his dog and died at Key Lime Green. We'll get to the second half of that next. I love (laughs) that line. I love songwriting that's kind of just like out of the blue because you're not expecting it. And there's so so many songs in the world that are just repeats of everything else. And so Mm -hmm. I love when like you just decide to put something really wacky in it and I have a feeling that that's like something that happened too because it's so so out of pocket that it it had to have happened yeah and people are gonna remember that line like Mm. if you don't know anything else about the song the last great American dynasty you know like oh Taylor Swift has that one line about the key lime green dog yeah you're gonna remember that it's very memorable now the second part this is the important part of the bridge. Fifty years is a long time. Holiday House sat quietly on that beach. So I guess she's, um, kicked the bucket. Free of women with madness, their men and bad habits. And then it was bought by me. Oh! Me Taylor Swift. Me being Taylor Swift. Um, so this is finally autobiographical after so long. Yes. And... I think it's so fascinating that it says free of women with madness, their men in bad habits, and then, <laughs> like, and, then. <laughs> and now it's bought by me, a woman of madness and men She's in bad, bad. habits. <laughs> no, and that's I love something that. that I wanted to talk about is the way that Taylor sees herself in Rebecca, mm-hmm. for sure. Like, and, I mean, the next and therefore part in Betty too. Therefore, in Betty, too. <laughs> Which is why Betty's lines are so much more marvelous than anyone else's. Mm-hmm. It's just so good. And then she says, I had a marvelous time ruining everything. Yeah, Which... the change from talking about somebody else to talking about herself using the exact same lines. Who yeah. knows if I never showed up, what could have been? And also, I feel like we have so many songs of Taylor's in other albums where she's painting herself the villain in like an artistic way where she takes that that persona that everyone puts upon her and like runs with it kind of like mm-hmm. blank space she's like a psycho killer girlfriend in blank space and so I feel like that is one of the ways that she sees herself is like this I don't know this woman with madness and men and bad habits there goes the loudest woman this town has ever seen yeah and that's definitely something she wrote because she, re- like, resonates with it. Right. Let's talk about Mad Woman now. Let's. Let's talk about Mad Woman. <laughs> this song is crazy. This is the song I was referring to when I was saying that there are much angrier songs on the yes. album. What did you think I'd say to that? Does the scorpion sting when fighting back? The st- they strike to kill and you know I will. Um, and then there's some more. But how does... <laughs> How does, there's some more angry there's words. some angrier words in word choices um <laughs> every time you call me crazy i get more crazy um so basically this is the woman with madness's story yeah this is mad woman there's nothing like a mad woman what a shame she went mad so it's kind of like this story of kind of a young girl growing up in learning and kind of being betrayed and going through all of these things and then coming into money and then you know discovering all like all of these things that she has power over and then all of these things that she doesn't have power over and it's mostly what other people will say about her and I think that's really what 
Mad Woman and um, The Last Great American Dynasty kind of shed light on is all of these things that people are saying about this crazy woman and what she actually has control over and it's not what people say about her which is I don't something, know what, what my point no, was that there. makes so much sense because that's something I'm sure Taylor has really had to like come to terms oh, yeah. with is that she can't control what people say about her and exactly. if anyone says anything about any celebrity it's people saying stuff about Taylor Swift oh yeah so there's some yeah, there's something there. <laughs> and you find something to wrap your noose around. Exactly. You like, find something. Oh my gosh. You poke that bear till her claws come out. You made her like that. You find something to wrap the noose around. Like, that's... I the, like, the lyrics in this are insane. Yeah, I feel like this is mostly about Taylor in her career. Mm-hmm. Even though it relates to Rebecca because obviously the whole story is about her. And women like hunting witches, too, doing your dirtiest work for you. It's obvious that wanting me dead has really brought you two together. That? Oh. Let's talk about that. (laughs) Okay. Personally, that line... Wait, let me find it here. Okay. there. I have so much to say about this line. Um... Honestly, at the very beginning of that line, and women like hunting witches too, doing your dirtiest work for you. That line gives Inez to me. I don't know if you've talked about the I character have not. Inez at we all. We do need to talk about her. Okay, so which line? It's in Betty, right? Yeah. There's a character introduced in, I think it's in Betty, where. Wish I could remember lyrics on the spot, but Here, I can't. I, I, I can find it for you. I have it pulled up. You heard the rumors from Inez. Can't be- you can't believe a word she says most times, yep. but this time it was true. Yeah, so it's this female character that's introduced, and she just likes to gossip. And I feel like a lot of The Last Great American Dynasty and Mad Woman is about, like, these gossiping people. And, like, personally for me, I've always been so conflicted about the character Inez because I'm like, oh, she should have, like, she could have done better. Like, why did she want to drag Betty down? Why was she, like, spreading all these rumors about her? Why wasn't she, like, going to her and being like, oh, I heard about this terrible thing like I wanted to support you mm-hmm. but instead she's spreading all of these rumors and and women like hunting witches too women like hunting <laughs> witches too like just because you're both women like you don't have friends in this sort of culture yeah you know there are always like, women so who are going to be against women yeah and that's so frustrating too because like we're all we have in the in the fight. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking about that quote from Barbie, actually, that's like, men hate women, women hate women. It's the one thing we can all agree on. Because <gasps> there's a pandemic of women hating women. And it's so fascinating, too. And I also think, like, this is another lyric that relates to Taylor's personal life. Um, because she's had a lot of people betray her. And, right. And I'm... I'm <laughs> I hate drop name dropping this. It reminds me of like Kim Kardashian and Kanye West. Mm-hmm. Like it's obvious that wanting me dead has really brought you two together. I don't know. Yep. I don't know too much about that situation. I'm gonna be honest, but um, women like hunting, which is too. So yeah, and something that <laughs> can agree on is that I should yeah kick the bucket. <clears throat> and there's also songs like Peace that reference them too, like Clowns in the West. You know that mm-hmm. that little name drop. Robbers to the East, clowns to the West. Which is the best song on folklore? Let me just say that. That's a hot take. I love peace. That's a, that's but a hot I ha- I don't. I'm gonna talk about that later. <laughs> no, I love peace too. It's gorgeous. And then let's talk about the bridge. I've said that so many times. Um, 
I'm taking my time, taking my time, because you took everything from me. Watching you climb, watching you climb over people like me, that's directed towards somebody for sure. Mm -hmm. Also, it makes me think of, like, Scooter and her masters and stuff, Um, because you took everything from me, watching you climb over people like me. Like, Mm -hmm. he took everything from her. That feels like a very young taylor lyric it does i'm really interested in this line the master of spin has a couple side flings good wives always know um she should be <laughs> mad should no be skating no like cry. me yeah <laughs> <laughs> i also want to talk about the relationship that folklore has to evermore because i think there are a couple oh, songs that continue sister it albums. yeah, yeah. Yes. i think that like tis the season um mm-hmm. is a continuation it's betty revisiting her hometown meeting up with james again and some people aren't ready for that. But no, I think it's I'm not there. ready for that, personally. <laughs> Horrific. That scares me. It's terrifying. We could call it even. You could call me babe for the weekend. No. Ew. Get it away. <laughs> but but uh, seriously, it's, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in this, like, narrative of a man and a woman who hate her. The man is the real bad guy. The woman is just being subject to the hate via man but i think it's interesting where she says the master of spin has a couple side flings good wives always know she should be mad should be scathing mm-hmm. like me but no one likes a mad woman was shame she went mad you made her like that the reason that she is still liked is because she's just going along with all of the exactly all of the things no i know exactly what you're saying like she at the end of this song like through the whole beginning of the song you're like oh this is about taylor this is about rebecca this is about what they went through and what happened to make them like this but then at the very end the last couple of lines she introduces this other woman who taylor knows should be angry she should be mad but but if nobody likes a mad woman yeah if she were to give into it people would call her mad right if she were to stand up and say something about her awful husband who's cheating on her and saying all these things. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what conclusion to come to about that. I don't know who this song's yeah. about, but it feels important to me. So. It feels important to me, man. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Are there any other songs that you want to talk about? Any other lines? Any other points about Betty's side of the story? Not really. Just that... I don't know, like, the whole love triangle between James, Augustine, and Betty, it's so interesting because, like I kind of mentioned before, they feel so young, and they, like, they seem so innocent through the whole thing, Mm -hmm. but then, like, Betty specifically is the only character that you continue with her through her life and you see how her story was affected by this past relationship by her past and then the other two characters kind of drop off like we don't really know about the future of James or the future of Augustine but we do know the future of Betty and through the one through the last great American dynasty and mad woman like we can see how she ended up i think it's a very interesting choice that taylor made to for her to be the main character for the storyline to continue to follow her and i think as we kind of discussed taylor sees herself in in rebecca Mm -hmm. and sees herself in betty and i think that's why she even probably decided i don't know maybe this is a bold claim but like i think that's why she even decided to write folklore is because 
like Rebecca, that article that you read just like said Rebecca was her muse for this Mm -hmm. album. And I think that's why sitting here and discussing like this, these songs is so important because Folklore is such a unique album where it's, it's not about Taylor. It's not about her life. It's not about her relationships, but through this other person Rebecca we can still draw these conclusions about Taylor's own life yeah so that's a great point you speak so so well about it I just I I have spent years like when did this come out 2020 I spent the last three years analyzing over this album it's I'm a folklore girl I am a folklore girl it's my first favorite album of hers Anyways, thank you so much for talking to me about it. You're welcome. <laughs> You're the best. Thank you so much. All right, so let's switch gears now. Let's switch gears over to August. We're going to talk about the August perspective with Lola. Um, and I've just now realized that this is going to be an extremely long episode. And so you're welcome. I hope you enjoy. Okay, um, here is my friend Lola. She is an avid Taylor Swift girl, um, mm-hmm. but especially Folklore and Evermore. I feel like I can say that. Is that true? Yes, very much. Okay. Um, yeah, she's she's the Evermore to my Folklore. What can I say? Oh, <laughs> She's from my hometown. She doesn't live in Utah, but um, I have her on FaceTime here, and we're going to talk about August, the August perspective. But first, I want you to tell me your name and then your favorite lyric from Folklore. Um, I'm Lola. Probably, that's such a hard question. My favorite song from Folklore is Peace. So the whole entire song, but my favorite is All These People Think Love's For Show, But I Would Die For You In Secret. I was just talking about how much I love Peace because I think it's the best song. I'm so glad you said that. That's a great choice. Um, Cool. So today we're talking about the folklore love triangle um, and the layers of lore behind the album. So I specifically want to talk to you about the August perspective, which means we're going to be talking about the songs August, Illicit Affairs, and Mirrorball. So yeah, let's talk about August. What do you think the song's about? (laughs) (laughs) Um... Well, I mean, there's obviously, like, layers to it, but the main part of it is the, like, summer, I guess, that she spent, that August spent with James and, like, their time together, but then he left her and didn't want the end, I guess. Yeah, it's so interesting because August is the other woman, like, in the story, and James is the issue here. He's the problem. He just keeps leaving women. Um, But, yeah, so let's talk about... Just, just go through the lyrics. I have them pulled up right here. Salt air and the rust on your door. I never needed anything more. Whispers of are you sure? Never have I ever before. So that's like a <laughs> a little insight into their relationship. It's it's kind of really youthful thing. It's really young and inexperienced. And it's, a, it's based on a lot of really immature feelings, I feel like. But, um, but it's still, it's still, it's really sweet and... It's hard because, and I'm, we're going to talk about this later for sure, I feel like we're supposed to hate August, a, like, a little bit, um, just because of the way that she is the other woman, but I love the way that August is painted in the story because she's not a bad person, and mm-hmm. she was just in love, and, like, none of what went down was her fault, 
which I think is really sweet. So I like that like difference in perspective there where like, yeah, she's the other woman, but we're finally not putting blame on the woman for the man cheating, which is amazing. But I can see it's lost in the memory. August slipped away into a moment in time because it was never mine. And I can see it's twisted in bed sheets. August slipped away like a bottle of wine because you were never mine. I just want to know, I want to know your thoughts on this chorus. I saw something once like years ago where it was talking about the specific lyric, August sipped away like a bottle of wine because you were never mine. And obviously it's about how he wasn't hers and like she later says you weren't mine to lose but I also saw something that I've always thought about when I hear the song and it was like there's some random girl on TikTok so it's not you know the most (laughs) reliable source how we know that they're teenagers and like in Betty he says I'm only 17 they can't even like legally drink wine I'm not as articulate as this girl was, and I don't think it's going to come out the same, but wine for them to drink or whatever is, like, illegal because they're underage and they're teenagers. They have it, but they have it wrong. Like Yeah, which relates to the relationship. Yeah, so I had never thought of it like that until I heard that one video where she has James, but it's not. She doesn't have him, and, like, it's entirely hers. Yeah. Like, it's... It's not illegal, but, you know, it's not right. <laughs> but it's not right, yeah. That's so interesting, I, actually. I love that. And then the next part, you're back beneath the sun, wishing I could write my name on it. I think that's a beautiful lyric. I have never, like, that's that's such great imagery, and it's something that I've never thought about. I've never thought about, like, writing my name on someone's back beneath the sun. But also, that, like, elicits really strong, like, romantic imagery, I feel like. It's, and it feels very summery too like I feel like I feel like the feeling of summer is really translated through the lyrics of this song and it feels like also very summery in its instrumentals and like it's one of the best instrumentally in the album I feel like like mm-hmm. it sonically is so good and so that like summery um atmosphere that it creates is really important to the storyline too because they spend a summer together this one also will you call when you're back at school I remember thinking I had you is really interesting too and then it kind of paints that picture of like Betty James and August in school mm-hmm. and then I think about Mirrorball because that's like this like dance scene setting but we'll talk about that in a little bit too I want to talk about that like whole promish event that happened because there's a lot about it so it goes again i can see it's lost in the memory august slipped away into a moment of time so that's the chorus again so then it goes back when we were still changing for the better wanting was enough for me it was enough which like saying the lyrics the lyrics are beautiful enough as it is but i think the way she sings it is just like so like i feel like you have to listen to it to fully feel that part but Mm -hmm. It's so interesting that she says wanting was enough. For me, it was enough. Like, that's a little bit of a backhanded thing. Like, she's like, I guess it wasn't enough for you, but it was enough for me to just Mm -hmm. want you, which is crazy. I love that so much. The it was enough. Because it's like, you know, when you're talking to someone and you're saying it and then you're like, but, you know, that's just me personally. Like, Mm -hmm. that's what it gets off. Okay, let's talk about to live for the hope of it all. Like... Oh, oh my god. To live for the hope of it all. Like, she's living for just the slight chance that she'll get him. Mm-hmm. This little bit of hope that she's gonna... It's... 
<sighs> That's why it hurts so much more to listen to the song, because when you listen to it, it's kind of this fun summary vibe, and you're like, yeah, and then you listen to it. The and lyrics, then the words are like, what is this? <laughs> Cancel plans just in case you call and say, meet me behind the mall. How sad is it that she is basing her happiness around this guy being like, like possibly calling and saying, meet me behind the mall. Like how unromantic and stupid does that sound? Because like she has this glorified, beautiful version of him in her head and this like romance that they share. But all it is is like, and we'll talk about this in illicit affairs, meetings in parking lots. And mm-hmm. it's it's really just like this pastime for him. And he, it's everything to her. Yeah. It's like, have you heard that audio on TikTok where it says, <laughs> you were a wonderful experience. And then it says, for me, you were everything. Like, it's yeah. like that. Like, he had a fun summer just messing around with her. But mm-hmm. for her, everything. Yeah. Especially because of those first few lines where it's like, whispers of are you sure never have I ever before like this is probably her first time falling in love Mm -hmm. and doing anything and so it really was like it was enough for her and it was so exciting and exhilarating and it was everything to her and then it didn't mean as much to him as she thought it did which is crazy Mm -hmm. um but yeah so much for summer love and saying us because you weren't mine to lose Uh, I think this is so fascinating like she knows about Betty Mm-hmm. and I really wonder what kind of situation it was. Like, if it, if Betty and, you know, were they on a break? Were they actually yeah. together? Who knows? Because August is a good person, and Taylor talks about that in the um, Long Pond Studios session, where mm-hmm. she's like, August is not the villain here. But it's so interesting because, obviously, she knows that she lost him to another girl. I wonder what the, like, context there was. But there's not really any way for us to know that. Mm-hmm. It's also, you weren't mine to lose, makes me think, like, was this perspective written, like, after? Like, did she know going into this summer of love with James that, like, he wasn't hers and she knew it and she knew, like, at the end he was going to leave? Or did she think that she could change him? And I feel like she, I remember thinking I had you. I feel like she thought he was in it. Mm -hmm. And, like, so much for Summer Love and saying us. She was all in. Oh, it's terrible. devastating. And then there's a course again. And then the other bridge-like thing. Well, no, it's... Just remember when I pulled up and said, get in the car. That's super interesting to me. Because there's another song. I think it's Betty that paints this picture of the scene. T- oh, says, she said, James, get in. Yeah, she said, James, get in. Let's drive. Let's drive those days turned into nights. And I wonder, like... It's not her being this femme fatale temptress. Like, that's, I don't feel like I would take it that way. And when she says, remember when I pulled up and said, get in the car, I feel like she says it with a different tone than James says, she said, James, get in, let's drive. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a bit of a different tone there, which is interesting. Back when I was living for the hope of it all, for the hope of it all, maybe behind the mall. And I just, the repetition that she repeatedly just says it. for the hope of it all, over and over again. It's kind of in all too well when she says at the end, I remember it, you know, I was there. She's like, it wasn't just me, like, it was real, it happened. Yeah, and that's what the, like, repetition is for. The reassuring herself thing. 
which is so fascinating i love that um do you want to go into like illicit affairs now kind of tie the two together I had a hard time knowing if this was from August's perspective or James's perspective, but ultimately I went with August. I feel like I went with August especially because of one, how like lyrically beautiful it is. And I feel like James's songs like Betty, I feel like don't really showcase that same lyricism. Yeah, they're kind of just telling the story of what yeah. happened. I feel like don't call me kid, don't call me baby. Look at this godforsaken mess that you made me. You showed me colors you know I can't see with anyone else. That feels very August to me. Because I don't think James would say, you showed me colors you know I can't see with anyone else. Because he ultimately went back to Betty. So it starts, make sure nobody sees you leave. Hood over your head, keep your eyes down. So it's very clear. Obviously she's not saying like, oh, I don't want you to be seen with me. But I think it's kind of like, not like sarcastic, but like, oh, and make sure that you don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Get caught, yeah. Yeah. No, it makes sense because she's not even telling her friends. And Mm -hmm. I imagine that, like, I imagine we're, so Libby and I were talking about Inez for a little bit. um, Because she's a really interesting character. And in my head, she's kind of in their circle of, like, friends or, like, sort of friends. Just in their, in their surrounding people. And so I think that she ties into this song pretty well. If they're trying to keep it a secret like this, but yet you'll be flushed when you return. Like, it's mm-hmm. a little obvious, and so that starts the rumor. I feel like that is really fascinating, that she's hiding it from her friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm keep blabbering on a little bit. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm not articulate today at all. Like I, I know. Can't... Yeah, tell your friends you're out for a run. You'll be flushed when you return. Take the road less traveled by. Tell yourself you can always stop. And here it is. What started in beautiful rooms ends with meetings in parking lots. And that's back to the meet me behind the mall. Yeah. Lyric. Oh my gosh. It's so interesting. This is such a different song from August, but it's like the same thing. It's about the same thing. But I feel like it's about the death of that mm-hmm. relationship, whilst August was about like the life of that relationship. They have very different undertones. I mean, you can see that in the in the chorus where it goes, and that's the thing about illicit affairs and clandestine meetings and longing stares. It's born from just one single glance, but it dies and it dies a million. And it dies. Three dies. A million little times. I love the longing stares. Is literally just. I have nothing more to say other than that. I just love that the longing stares. It's born from just one single glance. Like their whole relationship was built off of this one glance. Yeah. And it, I don't know. I feel like that shows how like not good it was. It's kind of romantic, but then it's also like, hmm. Yeah, it's illicit. <laughs> <laughs> But also, another reason that this is an August song is leave the perfume on the shelf that you picked out just for him, so you leave no trace behind, like you don't even exist. Ultimately, she does know that she's the other woman. Yes. Which is an interesting, like, moral quarrel to go through, I think. Because she's thinking, like, is this even right? James is also just using her. Like, you don't exist is really, really brutal, Mm -hmm. I think. Like, they just spent this whole time together and she was he was like her first love and it was like you know it was all of august it was great it was great for her and for her it was enough as she says in august but now she has to like just not exist for him this part i feel like is also such a hard-hitting section 
take the words for what they are, a dwindling mercurial high, a drug that only worked the first few hundred times. Like, she's comparing this affair that she's having, that James is having with her, to a drug. Mm -hmm. Because it's so destructive, but she wants it. If succumbed to it, too, she's like, well, (laughs) take, take the words for what they are. Yeah. I also love, so dwindling, like means it's going down it's breaking down and then mercurial means it says i looked up the definition specifically subject to sudden or unpredictable changes of mood or mind so like their relationship is anything but stable it's dwindling and it's like they're on and off and it's hot and cold and it's like it's just constantly changing which is off saying mercurial that's such a fun word mercurial do you want to talk about the bridge yes Oh my gosh, I think it's maybe one of the most important bridges that Taylor has ever written. Mm -hmm. There is, though, another change in the, like, little chorus before the bridge, and it goes from, what did it say, longing stairs, and then it says it dies, it dies, it dies, but here it says, and stolen stairs, they show their truth one single time, but they lie, and they lie, and they lie a million little times. Uh, it goes again to show that, like, those little glances, they didn't, they didn't mean anything. Like, it was nothing. It was the a whole, lie. It was a lie. All of it was a lie. So then, the bridge, which is amazing. And I'd also like to point out that, so I went to the Eras tour, and the only part that she sings so she does like the whole folklore part and then after august it fades into only the bridge of illicit affairs which is i think very like she's being pretty obvious that these are connected in that like this is the most important part Mm -hmm. and you want to scream don't call me kid don't call me baby look at this godforsaken mess that you made me you showed me colors you know i can't see with anyone else And again, the way that she sings it, I think is so much better than us just saying it, but you can get it very clearly. This is where the anger of this whole thing really comes out, where she's just like screaming and yelling and it's Uh just like, he's treating her, I think he's, I think like with a lot of like affairs where they treat the other person like a second class citizen, so he's he's treating her like she's like nothing, and so she's angry over that. I'm not a child, I'm not a kid, I'm not a baby, don't call me that it's so interesting the like look at this godforsaken mess that you made me because we were talking earlier about how like august knows that she's the other woman and that must be really morally hard to deal with and so she's like you're the reason i'm this mess like Mm -hmm. you're the reason i'm godforsaken which is a crazy like that's can't be easy to go through you showed me colors you know i can't see with anyone else is just Again, at the Ayers tour, so during August, it's, like, tie-dye-looking colors. Like, it's really colorful while she's walking around and singing. And then right as the bridge of illicit affairs starts, the color drains. And on the screen, it's black and white. She's insane for this, like, to... Oh, my gosh. And then the second part of the bridge? It goes again. Don't call me kid. Don't call me baby. Look at this idiotic fool that you made me. You taught me a secret language I can't speak with anyone else. it's so So it's hit after hit and you taught me a secret language i can't speak with anyone else yeah it's moment of silence (laughs) 
<laughs> I think it's so, like, obviously Taylor's an amazing, like, musician and lyricist to write that, but I think, like, just from August's perspective, like, Taylor's out of it, it's not her, just August, she could have just said, like, oh, like, you showed me all this stuff, and I loved you, and it was great, and now it's done, and it's over, but she says, you taught me a secret language, I can't speak with anyone else, she didn't just say, oh, like, it was fun, and now I'm sad, you taught, like, what is that even, I don't even, <laughs> exactly, and you know damn well for you, I would ruin myself. She's still going for it. Mm-hmm. A million little times. A million little times. Speaking of, for you, I would ruin myself a million little times. Let's talk about Mirrorball. Because that is such similar imagery. Like, I would break myself into several hundred pieces and shards of glass and reflect the best possible version of myself just for you. So let's talk mm-hmm. about Mirrorball. I think this is one of the greatest songs ever. Yes. Um, it's so emotionally strong and, like, nostalgic. It's It fits really well into the whole August and James, like, storyline. But I also think just, like, outside of that, it's just, like, such a... It's like a middle school anthem for me. Like, <laughs> you're just trying to do the best that you can. And you're trying to change the way that you are. So... That doesn't even fit in with the whole thing we're talking about. But I just, yeah. I love this. Well, that's the thing about this album is that, yeah, it's telling a story. And I was talking about this earlier, too. It, yeah, it's telling a story about these characters. But the whole point of telling that story is so that Taylor can relate to them or we can relate to them. It's like, that's the whole point is using the story to, like, kind of put yourself into that narrative. She's... Did you say she's evil? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So it says, I want you to know I'm a mirror ball. I'll show you every version of yourself tonight. I'll get you out on the floor, shimmering beautiful. And when I break, it's in a million pieces. I love, right off the bat, I want you to know, she's saying, you need to know this before anything starts, that I'm a mirror ball, that I'm, I'm going to show you every version of yourself. Like, it's, it's beautiful. And when I it's break, it's in a million pieces. I don't even know what to say about that. I don't even know. I When I break, it's in a million pieces. And then, hush, when no one is around my dear. That also, I feel like, alludes to illicit affairs. Hush. Yeah, definitely. Find me on my tallest tiptoes, spinning in my highest heels, love, shining just for you. Mm-hmm. It just shows that she's tying herself in knots just for him. And he's never going to reciprocate that. Awful. Oh my gosh. And also, in Illicit Affairs, we talk about how this is like falling apart. And she still would ruin herself for it. And I love that that relates to this. Like, I know they said the end is near, but I'm still on my tallest tiptoes, spinning in my highest heels. Like, it's not her fault. It's James's fault for like keeping her around and not ending this. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the second verse because it's so good. So again, it starts with, I want you to know I'm a mirror ball. So she's repeating it again. I can change everything about me to fit in, mm. which is just like, oh girl, that was such a weird sound. <laughs> Maybe edit that one out, Mace. Okay. okay. Um, I can change everything about me to fit in. You are not like the regulars. This is the one of this is next line is one of my favorites. The masquerade revelers, drunk as they watch my shattered edges glisten. I love the level of self-awareness in this song. 
I mean, obviously she repeatedly says, I'm a mirror ball, but she just, she knows that they're staring at her and they're, they're watching, watching her. I don't, can't even explain it. I think it's one thing if you do this stuff subconsciously, but that's the fact that she's so, like, aware of all these, like, stupid masquerade revelers watching her as she's, like, going through all this. Mm-hmm. And then let's go to the bridge since there's just another chorus after that. This is the worst bridge it's of all time. It's so bad and I hate it and I, I wish it never existed. <laughs> and she says, And they called off the circus, burned the disco down. When they sent home the horses and the rodeo clowns, I'm still on that tightrope. I'm still trying everything to get you laughing at me. What? <laughs> Excuse me? It's just so vivid and illustrative i feel like it just shows so much about like how far she's willing to go Mm -hmm. um i'm still trying everything it's also very i think like in my mind very connected to the for you i've ruined myself a million little times like she would do anything for mm -hmm. that the stupid boy (laughs) it also reminds me of like this is me trying even though i kind of group in this is me trying with like James, which I don't know why that's like the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of that song, because I don't know, I feel like that's a James song in my head, but um, it's really interesting, like, I'm still trying everything, this is me trying, this is her trying, her at the disco that is getting burned down, and she's still on the tightrope, and then the second part, oh my gosh, um, I'm still a believer, but I don't know why. I've never been a natural. All I do is try, try, try. Ugh. I literally want to get a tattoo of the try, 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 because that's just so... Mm, me, I guess. It's so teenage girl. And yeah. <laughs> I've never been a natural. All I do is try, try, try. Like, I'm still a believer, but I don't know why. That's so... That's why I love all of, like, Taylor's music, because specifically this album because like we're talking about oh is this more of a a betty or an august song and we were talking about this like earlier this week about how so many emotions that women feel are super shared like every single woman can relate to i've never been a natural all i do is try 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 Mm -hmm. so that's why i really love this song and the whole album because you don't know really if it's a betty or an august song because it's because just they so... are going through a very similar experience. Yeah. yeah. And like I'm in a love triangle, but I can I can these lyrics just hit home for me. I'm still on that trapeze. I'm still trying everything to keep you looking at me. So now she's not even not even to get you laughing at me. Just just look at me. Mm-hmm. Just acknowledge me. And that like visual of a mirror ball too is like it's so fascinating that she just wants to be looked at, but she's a bunch of little shards of broken glass. Do you have anything else you want to talk about with August? Um, I mean, I feel like I could have talked way better and more depth about some of this stuff. I was just, I think I'm pretty set. I think it's hard for me to even think of anything to say with these things because like, I've heard these songs a hundred times. The album's been out for three years. But even mm-hmm. just reading these lyrics right, right now with you... It, like, it, ignites a fire. Yeah, like, some of these I was like, wait, I feel like I'm hearing this for the first time. So, it's just so awful. It's so awful. It's so bad. I hate this album. It it's changed the, my life the minute it came out. Yeah, it's... And I, I'm a completely different person now because of it. 
I mean, so many of these songs too, though, I think fit in super well. Like, I think Exile just is mm-hmm. more, I guess it's more like Betty, but just like these mixed, lost in translation, like things that get wired get crossed, and it's just... Sorry, I'm not even talking for the podcast anymore. I'm just talking to talk. <laughs> that's a good. That's good. I was oh. real. I was considering. Um, I didn't know who to talk about exile with, and I think I was gonna talk about it in the Betty section, but I kind of moved it to the James section, um, because it's kind of both of them. Like, even just having a feature on that song makes it kind of both Betty and and James. Um, but yeah, that is such a fascinating song, and I think August definitely fits into that. I think they're all kind of interchangeable. They're all intertwined, yeah. Any parting words? Um, stream folklore, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Screw James. Yeah, that'll be my last thing I'll say. Just screw James for doing this, for turning two baddies against each other. (laughs) They just hate to see a girl boss winning. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Anyways, thank you so much for talking to me. All right, that is two out of three done. Maybe take a break now. Not like leave, but like go get a snack. I hope you're cozy and listening to this or like going on a nice walk or something because I did not plan on this episode being an hour long or more. But you know what? That's just how it is. But yeah, now we're we're on to the last um, part. This is act three. And we're going to talk about James. Um, this is not a case of saving the best for last. And I apologize for that. Um, but I do love my sister. So I, I'm glad I got to talk to her about James. Um, enjoy. All right. So here with me, I have another special guest. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Carson. I'm Macy's little sister. Cool. Um, and then, what is your favorite line from folklore? Um, mine would definitely be "Love you to the moon and the Saturn in seven. A classic. We're gonna talk about seven later, but first, we're gonna talk about the James perspective of the love triangle here. Um, and those songs include the song "Betty," "This Is Me Trying," and "Exile." Um, so yeah, let's start with Betty. Betty is an interesting one because it's called Betty. Um, but it's from the perspective of James, and I think we should just read through the lyrics and kind of assess the story. Does that sound good? Yeah. So, verse one, Betty, I won't make assumptions about why you switched your homeroom, but I think it's because of me. So we already have kind of a background set up here. There are kids in high school, and there's some rift between Betty and this main guy character who we know to be James. Betty, one time I was riding on my skateboard when I passed your house. It's like I couldn't breathe. And then we go to the pre-chorus. You heard the rumors from Inez. You can't believe a word she says most times, but this time it was true. The worst thing I ever did was what I did to you. Yeah. And Lola and I talked about this a little bit because Lola and I were talking about August. Um, So we talked a little bit about Inez. And I think this is a really interesting line for James to say. You heard the rumors from Inez. You can't believe a word she says. There are so many points in this song that are red flags <laughs> from James. Mm-hmm. Um, first off, here's the first one. We'll go through the rest. You can't believe a word she says most times, but this time it was true. So he, he's already a woman hater, basically. Basically. <laughs> basically, he hates women. 
Um, but he does feel sorry for this action that he for this act that he did, which we'll go into later. But it's interesting that he still says the worst thing that I ever did was what I did to you. Um, so there's an interesting moral what's dilemma? the word dilemma. Yeah. But yeah, let's talk about the chorus. But if I showed up at your party, would you have me? Would you want me? Would you tell me to go F myself or lead me to the garden? In the garden, would you trust me if I told you it was just a summer thing? I'm only 17. I don't know anything, but I know I miss you. All right. There's so many. So much. Oh, my gosh. It's just so interesting. Um, In the garden, would you trust me if I told you it was just a summer thing? As if it just being a summer thing defends his actions as if it justifies him cheating on her so I interesting like i feel like he wants so badly for her to just be like it was just a summer thing and you'll see at the end of the song he still like continuously goes back to her like it's not just like it was just a summer thing like it wasn't just mm-hmm. it was more than a summer thing oh so. yeah and we see that because in august and in all of August's songs, we talk about how, for her, it, it was just a summer thing, and she wanted it to extend, and she's still trying to get him, and he is still leading her on, like, into the school year and stuff. Um, yeah. But That's the thing that I feel like is so sad about this love triangle, is that, like, I mean, he says it himself, like, it was just a summer thing, but, like, she really felt for him. Like, she really thought that they had something, and he just, like, saw it as a summer thing. Yeah. And really devalidated her feelings. Yeah. It was like, but I have another girl, so I'm just going to go back to her. Oh, yeah. And I think it's so interesting how he says, I'm only 17, I don't know anything. He's, like, can't take responsibility for it. Red flag. Red like, take flag. Responsibility. We were also talking, I think Libby and I were talking about this, how... I'm only 17, I don't know anything. How interesting that is to parallel Betty's lines in Cardigan, where she's like, when you were young, they assume you know nothing, but I knew all of these things, and she lists off of these things that she knew. She knew everything. And it's such an interesting contrast between, I'm just a baby, I don't know anything, versus (laughs) I knew everything, and I knew exactly what you'd do. I knew you'd come back to me, all of these things. So now let's talk about verse two. It says, Betty, I know where it all went wrong. Your favorite song was playing from the far side of the gym. So this kind of sets a scene. Uh, in my head, I visualize it as like a prom scene or like some sort of school dance because um, it's referenced in other songs. So they're at this school dance. He sees her and later it says, I was nowhere to be found. I hate the crowds. You know that. Plus, I saw you dance with him. First off, the audacity he has to say, Plus, I saw you dance with him. Yeah, like, he says he hates the crowds, so he can't be upset that she was dancing with someone else when he said no. When he was nowhere to be found. Yeah, and he was nowhere to be found. He wasn't dancing with her. If he was in a good, if this was a good relationship, like, even if he didn't enjoy it, he would do it. But he was nowhere to be found. He left her. So, obviously, if she wanted to dance, she was going to dance with someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a really strong correlation between this song um, and Mirrorball, which talks about, like, dance floors. So I'm sure August was there at that prom, too, which heightens the tension a lot. And then also in Exile, when he says, I can see you standing, honey, with his arms around your body. And then later when she's like, I can see you staring, honey, like he's just your understudy. So we'll talk about Exile later, but that definitely paints this picture of this, like, tense school dance where where it's like who's dancing with who and it's this like high school drama type of situation it's also it's actually interesting how he takes responsibility here 
He's like, I know where it all went wrong. Your favorite song was playing and I didn't go dance with you. Um, so there is a, some level of maturity in James, and I've noticed that while studying the lyrics, um, especially in This Is Me Trying, because I feel like that's a James song. There's a lot of um, heavier themes in that song. So he's not just this soulless guy, but he, he did have bad intentions. Maybe, I, maybe I can't say that. Maybe he didn't have bad intentions. He's just not a great person. He made a lot of mistakes. Yeah, he did. And we're about to talk about those mistakes. Um, the bridge. I was walking home on broken cobblestones, which is an interesting thing to say because, cobblestones to reference, because in Cardigan she says, high heels on cobblestone. Paints the same picture where we're in the same story. It's proof of being the, the same timeline. And then he says just thinking of you when she pulled up. You're just saying that. I know he's just saying that to her. Yeah, I agree. There's no, like, just also just so, like, disgusting that he was like, I was thinking of you when she pulled up. Like, yeah. ew. And in the next, okay, so that same thing happens again. Just thinking of you when she pulled up, like, a figment of my worst intentions. Okay, what? <laughs> Anyways, and then he says, um... She said, James, get in, let's drive. Those days turned into nights. Slept next to her, but I dreamt of you all summer long. Pulls that same thing. Yeah, I was sleeping with her, but I was dreaming of you. He's trying to validate his decisions, Mm -hmm. and it's disgusting. Like, you need to take responsibility. Time after time, he's like, I love you. Like, he says, I'm only 17, but I know I love you. Oh, but I know I miss you. Yeah. But then he's like, he doesn't, clearly doesn't miss her that much. Like, he slept next to her all summer long. Like Yeah. So yeah. I, I think that maybe he does miss her a lot and love her a lot, but he's so immature and irresponsible that, yeah. like, on one hand, he's taking responsibility for a couple of things. He's also dismissing the fact that, like, oh, I'm, I'm only 17. Also, it was just a silly fling, and... She basically, a figment of my worst intentions, she said, James, get in, let's drive. He paints August to be this, like, temptress in a way. I don't like that Which at is, all. Yeah, it's so sickening and also just, like, create, like, the depth of it, knowing the lyrics in the song August. Like, she really fell for him and she really liked him. But time after time, like, he was like, a figment of my worst intentions. Like, that is That's what so he thought of her. Debilitating. Like, that's awful. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last verse, Betty, I'm here on your doorstep. And I planned it out for weeks now, but it's finally sinking in. Betty, right now is the last time I can dream about what happens when you see my face again. This is, I think, where the the first, like, really heavy, like, storytelling happens. All of it's kind of just reminiscent. And this is, like, now. This is happening now. And he's thinking to himself on her doorstep, she's going to she's gonna want to take me back. She's going to want to kiss me in front of her friends, which we'll get to later. Oof. He's dreaming of all of these scenarios like, what's she going to do when she sees my face again? Because she wants me. Um, which is, you know, just one interpretation, and I'm being pretty harsh. But, but also he says, the only thing I want to do is make it up to you. So I showed up at your party. And this part is really interesting to me. It's where the key change, key change is. And he says, yeah, I showed up at your party. Will you have me? Will you love me? Will you kiss me on the porch in front of all your stupid friends? Stupid friends. Again, there he is, doing it again, being awful. The red flag is crimson blood red. In front of all, like, was that necessary? In front of all your stupid friends? 
Was that really necessary? It bugs me on so many levels. And she, well, there's a reason he wasn't invited to the party, obviously. There's time, like, we've seen the reasons. All of her friends are there. She, they're probably all, <laughs> they're probably all inside the house, like, absolutely not. Why did he just show up? And then, like, in his head, he's like, are you going to love me? Please no, love me again, please. I know, it's so pick me. Like, please love me. I'm so sad, and I don't know anything. Speaking of pick 17. me. Speaking of pick me, the next line is, if you kiss me, will it be just like I dreamed it? Will it patch your broken wings? I have not thought about that line too heavily until recent, like now. If you kiss me, will it heal you? Everything that's broken and messed up about you, if you kiss me, will it patch your broken wings? That's crazy. Crazy. He's made so many mistakes and so many, like he has so many big red flags. And then to like, gaslight it and like turn it around to her like i'm doing this for you like you are broken i need to fix you she's not don't fix something that needs that's already perfect or something like if it isn't broke don't fix it she is moving on and i think we know she's moving on because of the lines in exile where it's like where he says and it took you five whole minutes to pack us up and leave me with it she's so smart too and we were talking about this earlier when we were talking about cardigan she is so intelligent and the way that her lyrics are written are so expressive and deep and detailed whereas james is just saying will you have me will you love me i'm only 17 i don't know any like his his lyrics are really simple a lot of the time especially in betty yeah like, there's not much room for, like, the interpretation because it's very it's very simple. He wasn't trying to make some crazy descriptive way of saying things. Like, Thursday, Sunday, the night, slept next to her, and I dreamt of you. Yeah. Very, One time I was riding on my skateboard. I know. Like, <laughs> what? Yeah, he. I, I think that's really interesting how Taylor kind of took on those different personalities when writing it. But then the last part, the outro, is, like, standing in your cardigan, kissing in my car again stopped at a streetlight, you know I miss you. Her adding that one little line, standing in your cardigan, immediately assures us that cardigan is is Betty talking. And I really like that. Yeah. She's so good. She's so good at what at lyric writing. Like it's just so poetic. Yeah, and speaking of poetic, let's talk about exile, because this one's really interesting. I didn't know whether or not to put it in Betty's section just because there's it's both of them. Like this is them talking to each other. And I decided to go with James because Betty has other things to be doing (laughs) and he needed some songs and Exile is a really interesting one from his perspective so we start out with Bon Iver singing for James's parts and he says I can see you standing honey with his arms around your body laughing but the joke's not funny at all which we already talked about kind of references that that like prom type scene where she's dancing with someone else the timeline i'm not quite sure of if this happened while they were dating and she was dancing with someone else i don't know i assume it's kind of after just in the mess of it all where like betty and james aren't together august and james aren't together james is trying to get betty back all those things so that's where i imagine it being especially because he says holding all this love out here in the hall which is really interesting because earlier he says i was nowhere to be found i hate the crowds you know that so he's left the dance. Um, he's holding all this love out here in the hall. Go get her. Like, don't just hold out in the hall. Like, she's not in the hall. <laughs> like, go back in and go say sorry? Apologize? That's another thing. I don't... I'm not sure... Let me see. I'm not sure he ever really, like, apologizes. I don't think he does. He, he says the worst thing I ever did was what I did to you, but... 
he doesn't apologize for he doing it. He doesn't say it. that to her, though. Like, yeah. he's saying that, like, to himself. Like, and he never apologized. Like, even if he feels a little sorry, he never tells her that. Mm-hmm. Like, he just keeps showing up. He's like, will you love me? Will you kiss me? And she's like, I'm waiting for that apology. But even then, like, he's waited so long. He's done so many things that she probably won't take. Like, even if he apologizes, she probably wouldn't have taken it. Yeah. But I don't know. As she shouldn't, because... Yeah, definitely. This guy's a wreck. Um, And then he says, I think I've seen this film before, but I didn't like the ending. You're not my homeland anymore, so what am I defending now? You were my town. Now I'm in exile seeing you out. I think I've seen this film before. Um, And I really like the correlation between this, I think I've seen this film before, and one of Taylor's other lines, the greatest films of all time were never made. That... I feel like that, this is the reason that I love Taylor. She has so many correlations to different songs. I think I've seen this film before. Like, he knows how this is going to play out. The greatest films of all time were never made. I guess to me, like, I see that as like, this was never going to succeed. Like, this relationship was never going to be a good good relationship because of A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. He does something wrong. He fails her or their relationship as a whole. And... So I think I've I think I've seen this film before. He knows how it's going to play out. The greatest films of all time never made because they could never figure it out. Mm-hmm. To me, that's how I interpret that. Yeah, for sure. Do you want to read Taylor's verse that is about Betty's point of view? I can see you staring, honey, like he's just your understudy. Like you get your knuckles bloody for me. Second, third, and hundredth chances balancing on breaking branches. That line, oh. I feel like, I mean, this is obviously in the perspective of Betty. Like, she gave him second chances, third chances, hundreds of chances, and he's still balancing on breaking branches. Like, he still is like, give me another shot. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then those eyes add insult to injury. What? <laughs> I think it's, I like, think. Betty's like, this is my time to speak. Like, let Ooh. me have a chance. Let me speak, let me speak my truth. <laughs> it's so. I love her word choice here. I think that saying you're staring at him like he's your understudy is so like vivid of a picture to paint. If you think about all of these high school drama class tropes, there's always that one understudy that finally gets their break and the, the lead part is like, oh. <laughs> oh, I can't believe you pushed me off a ledge and I almost died so that you could. Yeah. But, you know, it's that that like you took my role in this. And also the imagery of, like, you'd get your knuckles bloody for me. So beautiful. Yeah. I want to know what you think. I don't even fully know, so you don't have to feel too much pressure. I want to know what you think those eyes add insult to injury means. It's, like, so... There's so many layers. I know. I'm, like, trying to think of where to start. To me, I first think of, like, I first think of injury. Like, she's already beaten down... I feel like there's maybe two sides. One side, she's like, you keep looking at me and keep coming for me, and that's just insulting. Like, leave me alone. I'm already hurt. It's, like, embarrassing for you that you still are trying to bring this back. 
but also I also think possibly this like she's still I think in a lot of relationships that failed there's still like a part where you're like I really wish that would have worked I wish you were the one and so when she sees his eyes maybe his eyes are like really stunning I don't know when I see those eyes like it it's insulting because it's like embarrassing to herself like she's like why am I still when like he's hurt me time and time again yeah there are several instances of that too where she's she's given so much of herself to him where she's been hurt so many times and she still wishes that it would have worked out because cardigan is a really romantic song like there's a lot of things where she's like but i knew you all of these great things came from this relationship until it was wrecked and there's a lot of instances where betty wishes that it worked out i think that's really cool yeah, I feel like this line connects to Cardigan because she's like, she wishes it worked out. There's so many ways that it could be taken, but I think that's a really interesting line. Um, and then we have Taylor's verse, which is Betty's verse, um, but Taylor's chorus, my bad. Um, and she changes it just slightly. I think I've seen this film before and I didn't like the ending. I'm not your problem anymore, so who am I offending now? And then she says, you are my crown now I'm in exile seeing you out. I think I've seen this seen this film before. And she says, so I'm leaving out the side door, which is really cool. So first off, the first change, I'm not your problem anymore. So who am I offending now? Instead of, um, you're not my homeland anymore, so what am I defending now? The switch between defending and offending, I think, is really beautiful. Like, from James's perspective, like... I'm helping you, like he was saying in Betty, like, I'm helping you fix yourself. I'm, I'm doing this for you, like, so that you can fix your broken pieces. That, But now she's like, I'm not your problem. Leave me alone. Like, what I say should not offend you because you did so many awful things to me. Mm-hmm. And then with you and my crown, like, she was like, I put you on a pedestal. Like, I loved you. You meant the world to me. But now I'm in exile. And I'm leaving the side door. Like, I'm not even making... Like, I just want to sneak away quietly. Like, mm-hmm. she's not she's not going out the front door. I think of that scene in Gilmore Girls when Jess sneaks out the side door and he because he doesn't want to be at Roy's house. Yeah. <laughs> like, he just wants to, like, sneak out the side because he's like, I don't want to make a scene. I just want to leave. Like, and I feel like that's how Betty's feeling. I think it's really interesting how they talk about each other, too. James says to Betty, you are my town. Like, you are home to me, which is comforting. But Betty says, you are my crown. You are that important to me. Crown. Like, you are royalty. Um, And that was, like, the place that he took in her life was this kind of, like, royal figure where you think they're so great and you think they're saving you and and they're doing all this stuff for you. In reality, it's kind of like like a dictatorship in a way where they're ruling over you and and you're smaller than them. But yeah, I like the leaving out the side door and like visualization of that because in my head, they're like in this movie, watching a movie, even though I know that this is like probably not even accurate. But when I listen to the song, I picture them running into each other at the same movie theater, seeing each other and it like all flashes back, especially because they say like, you're a flashback in a film reel on the one screen in my town. We all know they live in a small town, like a small Midwestern type town. This is a small town love. Yeah, and there's one theater, and they run into each other in the one theater. And Betty's just like, I'm leaving. I'm going to leave. And then I picture her, like, leaving the theater. But that's just, like, yeah. how my head visualizes the song, even though it's it's very, like, metaphorical. Um, and then the bridge is so interesting because both of them sing, and they're talking directly at each other. So step right out. There was no amount of crying I can do for you. 
all this time we always walked a very thin line you didn't even hear me out it's this starts getting so interesting because he says you didn't even hear me out and she says you didn't even hear me out and then you never gave a warning sign and she says i gave so many signs like she's it's a it's a response it's back to back and then all this time i never learned to read your mind Never learned to read my mind, and she goes, yeah, you're right. You never tried to <laughs> learn to read my mind. I couldn't turn things around. You never turn things around. It's, once again, he knows what he did wrong, and he, he's still hesitant to admit that. I think that's really interesting. Because we know he's hesitant to admit it, because he goes, I never learned to read your mind. I couldn't t- turn things around. And then he goes, because you never gave a warning sign. Like, I didn't, couldn't do this because you didn't warn me. It's your fault. He turns it back around. Yeah. He was just so oblivious because he, honestly, he was so selfish in their relationship. And so many times we turn it back on her, like, he did something wrong. You never gave any signs. Yeah, and then the chorus just kind of, well, that chorusy bridge type thing, it's kind of hard to structure that. But it just kind of, they just repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. And it builds up into this beautiful, atmospheric, overwhelming piece of music it says so much about like their relationship and how how they felt about each other they both feel that way like you didn't even try to help me yeah i also love how after they repeat those like and it builds it says i think i've seen this film before and i didn't like the ending you knew what was coming and you didn't like it and you did nothing about it he didn't understand what she wanted he didn't ask what she wanted yeah but they kept coming back which is so interesting and i feel like this song i feel like the James side of it is a little bit more like yearning and like still hopeful. Betty has given up completely, as she should. Especially, I don't know, it might be like a voice thing where Boney Bear's voice is so full of like yearning and, and like almost a whining in not a bad way because his voice is beautiful. But it's so full of that. And Taylor really interprets the song as like this I gave so many signs and I'm not giving any more, and that's it. Next, let's talk about This Is Me Trying. We know that this is a James song because, and I, I was kind of up in arms about it for a little bit, but I, it came to me in a, an epiphany <laughs> that it's a James song because he says, and maybe I don't quite know what to say, but I'm here in your doorway. Um, but it's really fascinating because this is a pretty poetic song. I don't, wouldn't say it's quite on the level of like beautiful lyricism and like, beautiful words and like word choices as um, some of her other songs but in terms of like metaphors and such it's a really well-written song so it's interesting that it's from James's perspective but yeah we get a kind of tiny glimpse inside of actually not a tiny glimpse we get a huge glimpse inside of James's mind right now so I've been having a hard time adjusting I had the shiniest wheels and now they're resting I didn't know if you'd care if I came back. I have a lot of regrets about that. So this also refers kind of to that, so I'm here on your doorstep. I don't know what you'll say, how you'll feel about that. And Yeah, I feel um, like this is probably way after that moment because he's having a hard time adjusting. Mm-hmm. And he says that he regrets going to her doorway. Like, I didn't know if you'd care if I came back, and I have a lot of regrets about that. Pulled the car off the road to the lookout, could have followed my fears all the way down. That's a that's a line. That's that's Dude, a heated he's line. He's really struggling. 
yeah, he's really struggling. That's... I mean, like, that's a really dark and deep line. Yeah. Like, he pulled his car to the lookout, looking down and out. Yeah, and over, like, a mountain or canyon all type the way thing. Down. Like, he could have just driven off the cliff. Yeah. I almost feel like this is, I don't know, this is maybe down the line a little bit, like you said. Um, mm-hmm. He's looking back. It's so, which is so interesting, because it's almost like he's matured a little bit, and he's realizing his past. Like yeah. And he's trying to and be he's better. Realizing, he's realizing how bad that was, that yeah. time in his life was. Yeah, I just wanted you to know that this is me trying, which is an interesting phrase because if it's out of desperation, like, I just want you to know that this is me trying, I'm trying, then it's it's powerful and impactful and it's emotional and it makes sense. But if it's typical James fashion out of, like, kind of like an avoidance of trying better, actually trying, or, like, a way for him to justify his actions still, then, like, it's kind of interesting for him to say, I wanted you to, I just wanted you to know this is me trying. Like, it's kind of like, at least I'm trying. Like, yeah, at least I'm trying. And it's so hard because this is a really emotional song, so it's hard for me to want to, like, go towards that route where James is just once again justifying his actions and justifying the fact that he's not he's not apologized yet. He's not gone back to her and fixed things. I feel like these next lines are where I, like, I started to feel really bad for James because yeah. he was obviously, like, had other stuff going on than just a toxic relation, high school relationship. Yeah. Um, it says, they told me all of my cages were mental, so I got wasted, like, all my potential. Those and lines. Like, like, I can't even, like, they... like, his battles, they're like, it's just in your head. Like, and this is why... So yeah, and this is why Taylor's such a phenomenal writer, because she makes you feel for the, the bad guy in the situation. She really defends August for being the other woman, which I really love. And she somehow brings this other side to James that makes you feel for him, which is fantastic. And with, so I got wasted, like, all my potential. Like, I think he started to believe, like, no, this is in my head. Like, this is not, like, it's, like, I shouldn't be feeling like I, like, he was pretty down on himself. Mm -hmm. And he started to believe, like, that was just all in his head. Like, it wasn't real feelings. And so he wasted his potential. Mm-hmm. And then he says, and my words shoot to kill when I'm mad. I have a lot of regrets about that. So my again, words shoot so- to kill when I'm mad. That's yeah. great. Like, again, yeah. But he's fe- again, he feels regret about yeah. the things that he said in the past. Yeah, like, which is really when important. When he's upset, he saw Betty with another boy at the dance. And that obviously made him mad. Um, and so his words, like, hit harder because he was mad. Um but he says he regrets it. Like, he should have yeah. been nicer, I guess. Yeah, I think all of my cages were mental, wasted, like, my potential. That's one of the best rhymes I've ever heard. But also, like, they told me all of my cages were mental. All of my cages. So all of the things holding me back are in my head. and they're Or, like, my mental issues are my cages. That's kind of how I interpret that. And so because of that, he just gave up, like, all his potential. He wasted all of his potential, which is so interesting because he did some really non-justifiable things, and then you bring that into it, and even though it's still non-justifiable, it's it's sad. Yeah. And then I was so ahead of the curve, the curve became a sphere. 
James, buddy. Get the, James wrote that. Once again, beautiful imagery. You're picturing this curve, and then it loops all the way back around. And then this interesting next part fell behind all my classmates, and I ended up here. This, um, I was so ahead of the curve, the curve became a sphere. Reminds me a lot of myself in the way that, like, when I was growing up, and I have ADHD for listeners to understand this. Um, when I was growing up, I was so good at everything in school and it came so easy to me because my brain was functioning differently than everyone else's and I feel like that happens for a lot of like you know that like typical gifted kid burnout type thing where like when kids are younger they read at a higher level and they're like neurodivergent kids read at a higher level and they do so good in school then all of a sudden you're so far ahead of the curve and then it like catches back up to you yeah and then all of a sudden it's not easy for you and your brain doesn't function the way others functions in a not beneficial way and you fall behind. And I think that's really interesting because earlier he was talking about mental cages and I feel like that's that correlates. Um, yeah. Didn't mean to diagnose like him there. I like that perspective. Yeah. It's a perspective I don't have, so that's very interesting. Yeah, and then pouring out my heart to a stranger, but I didn't pour the whiskey. So interesting. I think that it just like, like he was saying, I got wasted, like all my potential, but then he didn't pour the whiskey. So like, he's not drunk, but he's pouring his heart out. Like he's, he's probably so fed up of being so in his head and having to deal with everything himself. And like, he didn't realize how bad it was, but it's catching up to him. Like he's Mm -hmm. realized how bad it is. And when that started coming back at him, he would just get drunk and forget it. So he just poured his heart out to anyone who would listen. Yeah. And I kind of take it as, like, it. when you go to a bar, normally you'd, like, get drunk and then you'd kind of rant or dump your trauma on a person because you're not fully in your head. And I think it's interesting how he says, I was just pouring my heart out to a stranger, completely sober. I didn't even need the alcohol to to kind of elicit that. Yeah, he, like, got to a breaking point. It's such an interesting take on his character because I feel like that's not really what I focus on a lot is his down well downfalls in a way that's like redeemable something that I can feel bad for it doesn't happen too often with this character but I don't know I'm he's so complex in that way where you're like I don't know if I can feel bad for him I don't know if I should it's yeah it's a dilemma for sure because then we have the chorus and I just wanted you to know that this is me trying at least I'm trying yeah I feel like when we first get to know James in Betty and a little bit in Exile, like this line, like if we didn't know the depth of this song, this line would be so annoying. Like I'd be like, at least you're trying, put more effort in. But I feel like with this song, we get to hear more about how internally James is really struggling. Like he's really struggling with his own mind and with his own feelings. He almost chose not to try, but yeah. he's trying. So I feel like hearing that line, like the contrast of like this line towards his past self to like the James we know now, I'm like, oh, that just is so painful. And like when it came back to him, like at least he's continuing to try to. Yeah, for sure. I'm still, I still don't really have a huge certain stance on it i really don't think that mental issues can justify cheating or treating a person horribly but it does it does like soften you up a bit about it like it's 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 really hard to know how to feel about that um i think it just is a 
a, like a testament towards life. There's nothing that's ever really certain. No one's ever fully good or fully bad. And then let's talk about the bridge. <laughs> it's, it's so good. He says, it's hard to be at a party when I feel like an open wound. So Yikes. back to the party, like, if it's the, I mean, like, I think of it initially as, like, the prom, like, that prom-ish mm-hmm. party that they're at. He says he doesn't like big crowds. But then we get to this, like, he felt like an open wound. It's hard to be anywhere these days when all I want is you. And then you'll flashback in the film reel on the one screen in my town. They're both just going through it and having to deal with their faults. And it's so detailed and intricate and interesting. There's so much more that we could even say about it. But do you have any last words about James? Because we're going to move on to Seven, if you want to. I just feel like he's such a complex character and it's really hard when... Like, for me, I'm such, like, a, a girl's girl. Like, I really want to be on August and Betty's side, and I am. But this, like, makes me, like, oh, that hurts. Like, I feel bad for hating him. He's gone through a lot. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't justify his actions, but it makes us feel softened about his actions. So, yeah, very interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's yeah. talk about Seven. And this is not a James song at all. Please don't get confused. I just felt like Seven is a good song to talk about with my sister because it's a very, like, it's a very platonic slash familial love kind of song. It reminds me of being a kid, and so I wanted to talk about it with you. (laughs) It starts off with, please picture me in the trees. I hit my peak at seven feet in the swing over the creek. There's an interesting little thing here that people talk about a lot. Do we think she's saying, I hit my peak at seven? years old or do we think she's saying i hit my peak at seven feet when i was swinging so i feel like it's kind of a double meaning like yeah, i've always put it as a meaning. i feel like well when you see the lyrics written out the lines are split up that's i hit my peak at seven mm-hmm. and then the swing over the creek but then i also think two different peaks i feel like the peak is like the maximum point mm-hmm. but also peak of like like the physical peak that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And she also talks about in the Long Pond Studio session about the line, um, I used to scream ferociously anytime I wanted. I think that's what she means by I hit my peak at seven. Where like I just used to scream and express all of my emotions and and I was in love with nature and the world and I experienced things so differently. And I think that's an interesting take on childhood, is that like you hit your peak then. I was too scared to jump in, but I was high in the sky with Pennsylvania under me. Are there still beautiful things? I feel like I this think, really is like her take on missing childhood. Yeah, I really feel like it is because she's climbing trees and jumping into a creek off of a swing. Are there still beautiful things? Is like jump to it like now, and she's like, are there still beautiful things? Mm-hmm. Like there's so many beautiful things. Of, being a child and you just see things differently too yeah perspective yeah and then she goes into like the most beautiful description of summer and youth and childhood that I've ever heard she says sweet tea in the summer cross your heart won't tell no other and though I can't recall your face I still got love for you your braids like a pattern love you to the moon and to Saturn passed down like folk songs the love lasts so long this is the chorus and I just feel like it tells a story I feel like it tells a story of two 
kids, and we see this more later, like reminisce about their future together and just are so enveloped in the world and earth and like young love in a way, but it doesn't feel like a romantic thing to me at all. I think it could be siblings. Later it kind of says like your dad, blah, blah, blah. So it could be siblings. It could be like two just young childhood friends. And then it goes into this next part. Uh, This part is so beautiful. It's like my favorite part to sing. And I've been meaning to tell you, I think your house is haunted. Your house, your dad is always mad and that must be why. I think you should come live with me and we could be pirates. Then you won't have to cry or hide in the closet. That's just, that one section alone tells the entire story for you. Like, and it's fascinating because it's through the child's eyes. Because we are looking at it as older people and and we're looking at this and we say, your dad is always mad, that must be why, and I think you should come live with me. Then you won't have to cry or hide in the closet. We know that it's kind of like an abusive situation that one of them is in. And you look at that and you're like, you know better, but it's almost more disheartening that the child is just seeing it so simply and doesn't fully understand. Yeah, the kid is just like, your dad's always mad. You should come live with me and we can be pirates. Yeah, like, your dad must be always mad because your house is haunted. Yeah. They're so wistful and, and still so dreamy. And she says, we can be pirates and then you won't have to cry. And then later, and just like a folk song, our love will be passed on. It's so beautiful, and I love it. And there's so much of a story there that I'd want to, like, make a movie out of it so badly. Yeah. It also goes on, and I feel like maybe this goes again, like, to her her perspective now versus when she was a kid. It says, please picture me in the weeds before I learned civility. I used to scream ferociously anytime I wanted. Mm -hmm. So, like, be like misses being able to just like have a tantrum like mm-hmm. kids like just like scream and yell to get what they want and she's like I wish I could do that like I wish I could just like fall to the ground and scream and cry and bang my feet against the floor like I like think she it's... wished that she could scream ferociously yeah I think that before I learned civility is a really beautiful line I think I love that she She didn't just say, like, before I became an adult, before I grew up, before I became, even before I became civilized. I love that she says that she learned civility. Like, it's a learned behavior to have to integrate with society as you get older. And and you have to learn how to become proper. And you have to learn how to become, how to go into the workplace and... And you have to do all these things that make it impossible for you to just let out your emotions anytime you want. And I think she's really, like, reminiscing on a time where she used to be able to just actually be free. Yeah. And not have to worry about what's going on in the world. Yeah. And then I love... um, The end is really similar to the first course, but she says, Sweet tea in the summer, cross my heart, won't tell no other. And though I can't recall your face, I still got love for you. First of all, I think I can't recall your face, I still got love for you. That's kind of her in the future again, in the present, I guess, um, looking back on maybe like a childhood friend that she had. Yeah, I think of like my like friends like in really early elementary school, like maybe even younger, like like I think of like my friends in my kindergarten. Like I don't remember their faces or their yeah like, you don't know where they are anymore their names. yeah I just have like the memories of being with them and having fun on the playground and hanging out with them and that kind of thing 
Yeah. So, like, it didn't matter who it was. It's just, like, the memory of being a child. Yeah. And honestly, like, you still have love for them, even though you don't know where they are now and what they're mm-hmm. doing or anything. Um, but then we kind of go back to that childhood perspective where she says, pack your dolls in a sweater. We'll move to India forever. Um, those are two really sweet lines because it's almost like we go back to this. I think your house is haunted. Your dad is always mad. That must be why. Um, I think you should come live with me. Um, and I think that's like the same where this one friend feels protective and feels this pure love for the other where she's just like, I want to save you. And I want us to have a love like, like music, like folk songs. And I want to move to India forever. And, and the fact that she... (laughs) <laughs> just pack your dolls and a sweater, and that's all you need. It's just so, like, so blissfully like, ignorant and youthful. I feel like when you're a kid, like, you, if you think of, like, your prized possessions. Like, when I was a kid, my prized possessions was, like, my baby blanket and my stuffed animal. And, like, the, I feel like that's what she's saying. Like, just bring, like, just bring your doll and your sweater, and we'll move to India we'll get away from here it's that kind of dreaming that you only do as a kid and I love that you get too realistic as an adult and it doesn't yeah doesn't work yeah it's like a it's like an elegy for her childhood and I think it's really sweet that later in the lake she says is it romantic how all my elegies eulogize me and I really think that's a line about seven where it's this like an elegy is just like a reminiscent thing about something that died or is passed Mm -hmm. and it's so and it is it's romantic that she wrote this this love song about the death of her younger self in a way which is really harsh to say because it's not about the death it's more so about the life of her younger self but it's really beautiful all right that's all i have for today but do you want to send us with some parting wishes you have anything else to say people should listen to it more it's one of her best (laughs) i think i think it is her best it's yeah, so I'm, beautiful and underrated and I don't think it's I don't think that people yeah. understand that that she has the capability of writing like this and so I think it yeah. proves a lot of people wrong I feel like the public is so used to like her popular albums which don't get me wrong I love 1989 I think the lyrics are also great like if you're gonna choose pop like listen to 1989 like that's yeah the best of the pop yeah but this is just like this is pure talent like she is a poet. Yeah. And, and the fact that she wrote it, produced it, released it in a couple of months while we were on lockdown is so impressive. Yeah. Insane. The pandemic is the time I look back on and I'm like, that was that was really hard for everyone. And that was a really tough time. And I think that the way that we get through stuff like that is with art. And so I'm really glad that this came out around the, that time. Yeah, it definitely got us through pandemic. Yeah. In, like, emotional sense mm-hmm. like did. I understand pandemic was really hard but emotionally this this album got me through yeah thank you for talking to me of course. <laughs> you're the best you're the best ever you guys are real troopers for getting through this with me um but yeah that was me and my sister talking my little sister i love her um but i just want to wrap up by talking about some of the songs that just weren't able to be mentioned um because they you know we were talking about the love triangle and there's some other songs in here that are worth mentioning we didn't talk about epiphany epiphany is a stunning song 
because it just means so much. I'm going to read some of the lyrics just to give some context. It starts out with, Keep your helmet, keep your life some. Just a flesh wound, here's your rifle. Crawling up the beaches now, sir, I think he's bleeding out. And some things you just can't speak about. With you I serve, with you I fall down. Watch you breathe in, watch you breathing out. Something med school did not cover. Someone's daughter, someone's mother. Hold your hand through plastic now. Doc, I think she's crashing out. And some things you just can't speak about. I'm gonna read the whole thing. (laughs) Only 20 minutes to sleep, but you dream of some epiphany. Just one single glimpse of relief to make some sense of what you've seen. Oh. My. (laughs) Oh my gosh. This is a this is a poem. And the thing is, this came out, you've got to remember, this came out during the pandemic, during 2020. And it was a time of some serious suffering for so many people. And so a lot of people resonated with um, this section of like, hold your hand through plastic now, which is so important to some people. And it really touched a lot of souls there and I think that's so important but it's also um has been revealed to be about Taylor Swift's grandfather um kind of inspired by him he was a soldier which is so beautiful because Taylor also has in her sister album Evermore a song about her grandmother and so I just think that it's so beautiful to see her evolve in music and writing music and lyricism to where she's she's reaching outside of the box for inspiration and it's really cool um a lot of people are like oh Taylor Swift only writes about men and and only writes about heartbreak and love and and I think she does write a lot about love but I think she knows so much about love that she knows that she can kind of leave the boundaries and talk about familial love and and platonic love which is what we talk about in seven and it's so beautiful and I'm so thankful that she writes about topics that are as touchy and feely as that Um, because that's a hard one that's a hard one to talk about um so next I want to talk about peace this is (laughs) I'm gonna cry this is my favorite song on the album and I'm gonna read the lyrics to this one too because Who's gonna stop me? Who is gonna stop me from reading my favorite lyrics ever written? Here they are. Our coming of age has come and gone. Suddenly this summer, it's clear. I've never had the courage of my convictions as long as danger is near. And it's just around the corner, darling, because it lives in me. No, I can never give you peace. But I'm a fire and I'll keep your brittle heart warm if your cascade ocean wave blues come. All these people think love's for show, but I would die for you in secret. <laughs> A single tear. just <laughs> The devil's in the details, but you've got a friend in me. Would it be enough if I could never give you peace? Your integrity makes me seem small. You paint dreamscapes on the wall. I talk with my friends. It's like I'm wasting your honor. And you know that I'd swing with you for the fences, sit with you in the trenches, Give you my wild, give me a child, give you the silence that only comes when two people understand each other. Family that I chose, now that I see your brother as my brother, 
is it enough? <laughs> but there's, oh my gosh. <laughs> but there's robbers to the east, clowns to the west. I'd give you my sunshine, I'd give you my best. But the rain is always going to come if you're standing with me. Would it be enough if I could never give you peace? And she repeats it. Would it be enough if I could never give you peace? My heart is pounding. It's a whole song about how she is this person that isn't perfect. And in a relationship, she she can't be this figure that most people in a relationship would want to be in a relationship with. It's a very personal song to her and a very personal song to me, so let's talk about both sides. To her, would it be enough if I could never give you peace? She's the biggest pop star on the planet. No one that is dating Taylor Swift is gonna get a second to breathe to themselves. And obviously that's exaggerating, but but she knows that she is almost burdenous in that way. There are people who, you know, that's a deal breaker. <laughs> she's, she's too big to ever, ever, uh, give anyone peace you know this is to me one of the greatest love songs she's ever written she says all these people think love's for show but i would die for you in secret i would die for you in secret (laughs) all of these people are saying that she's only writing love songs and and she's trying to profit off of off of female empowerment she's trying to profit off of love and she's trying to profit off of relationships and and evil men and but she knows that real love (laughs) if she found it she would die for it in secret and i i could go on and on i love give you the silence that only comes when two people understand each other it reminds me a lot of you are in love the song from 1989 another one of my favorite love songs ever written of all time um where she says you can hear it in the silence you can feel it on the way home I like the line right after that family that I chose now that I see your brother as my brother that's the epitome of love of loving someone taking them in as your family but ultimately the song just has such a clear message of would you still love me could you still love me if if it was never easy to love me and I think that's a really powerful sentiment and I feel that a lot actually we're gonna get vulnerable right now (laughs) Um, I think a lot about like the line, I could never give you peace. And in a way that relates a lot to like mental things that are going on in people, in me specifically. Um, it's hard to give yourself to someone, especially when you're struggling with other things. And so I ask myself that a lot. Would it be enough if I could never give you peace? If I could never not be anxious, if I could never, you know be there for you all the time because I have stuff going on in my head and I just think that's one of the realest forms and like depictions of love that I've ever seen and I think it's a really important song um especially lines like the rain is always gonna come if you're standing with me because that's that's what it's all about (laughs) like loving someone I think is being there with them during the rain that comes and knowing that it will come, because, you know, the devil's in the details. I wish I had better words and more fulfilling words to say, but it's just the the greatest love song I've ever heard to me. And the way that she talks about this this person that she's in love with, you paint dreamscapes on, on the wall, your cascade ocean wave blues, and 
the promises to swing with you for the fences, sit with you in the trenches, give you my wild, give you a child. A child. That's just such a heavy line. Automatically adds that layer of like, this is this is it for me. A family. Like, that's serious. Um, but I think I should shut up about this song because I'm probably getting so annoying. Um, anyways, let's move on. I'm sorry about that. Oh my gosh, I just got in my feelings. Um, I just got vulnerable on the KU podcast. <laughs> okay. Next, let's talk about hoax. I love hoax. So underrated. No one talks about hoax ever. So good. They say, my only one, my smoking gun, my eclipsed sun, my twisted knife, my sleepless nights, my windless fights, stood on the cliffside screaming, give me a reason. Your faithless love's the only hoax I believe in. Ah! Oh my gosh. My best laid plan, your sleight of hand, my barren land, I am ash from your fire. I feel like this one's really hard to kind of break down into a real story Um, because it could fit into really anything. The like stood on the cliffside screaming give me a reason sounds a lot like this is me trying. Um, Someone should check on Taylor Swift (laughs) because that most recent song that came out, um, sometimes I think about jumping off of very tall somethings. Someone go check on her. Burst the door down. Go check on her. She's probably okay. Um, But oh my goodness. Go check on her. I love the line no other sadness in the world would do because there is such a such a thing actually as being addicted to being sad I've certainly felt that before especially as an artist which is what she is it's just so interesting that there's this brand of sadness that she's found in this person that's the most satisfying thing to her which is so interesting that she's found not in this person but from this person and then the bridge you know I left a part of me back in New York you know the hero died, so what's the movie for? That reminds me of a lot of movies. First one that comes to my head is Psycho, just because the main character dies pretty early on. Um, and a lot of people were like, um, why does the movie continue if the main character is dead? Um, but whatever. You knew it still hurts underneath my scars from when they pulled me apart. That line always reminds me of how Taylor lost her masters. Well, they were sold without her permission. Yeah, that's kind of what I think about whenever I listen to this song. You knew the password, so I let you in the door. You knew you won, so what's the point of keeping score? And then the end, my only one, my kingdom come undone. Kingdom come undone, that reminds me. (laughs) Call it what you want. She says, my castle crumbled overnight. I brought a knife to a gunfight. They took the crown, but it's all right. Very similar. But yeah, hoax is so good. Um, So underrated. I think just because it's slow, like um, sonically pretty slow instrumentally Um, a lot of people skip that one but it's not a skip actually so don't skip it actually i don't know if you know this it's not a skip last one we're gonna talk about is the lakes um libby mentioned this song earlier because it's her favorite and it's so good and she's so right and i trust her because she is a, a writer this seems like one of those songs that started out as a poem and i would bet i'd bet my left pinky on that um which is actually a really important finger to me so that's saying something this is i'm so tired it's 3 a.m she says is it romantic how all my elegies eulogize me is it romantic how all my elegies eulogize me her songs are all of her elegies and they're 
They're eulogizing her. Oh my gosh, this is so similar to when she's talking about in peace, how she feels a little bit like a burden. I have too much to say. I can't even say anything. I'm not cut out for all these cynical clones, these hunters with cell phones. This is a very personal song to her and you can tell. Hunters with cell phones. That girl gets eaten alive on the internet. Leave her alone. Knock her door down and check on her right now. But leave her alone. <laughs> and then the chorus. Take me to the lakes where all the poets went to die. I don't belong and my beloved neither do you. She's a poet. She belongs. Um, those Windermere peaks look like a perfect place to cry. I'm setting off but not without my muse. <sighs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it's too late for this, man. She says what should be over burrowed under my skin in heart-stopping waves of hurt what should be over burrowed under my skin she has not gotten over it it's burrowed under her skin it's a part of her everything in her past is haunting her in heart-stopping waves of hurt i've come too far to watch some name-dropping sleaze tell me what are my words worth words worth a poet double meaning super sick and the bridge Haha, <laughs> surprise, Taylor Swift wrote another good bridge. I want auroras and sad prose. I want to watch wisteria grow right over my bare feet because I haven't moved in years. And I want you right here. That's just so important to me. And you know what it reminds me of? Percy Jackson. The tree girl? A red rose grew up out of ice frozen ground with no one around to tweet it while i bathe in cliffside pools with my calamitous love and insurmountable grief i don't think those words are even in the dictionary i read it cover to cover did you Ugh, i didn't see it in there i don't how am i gonna know what they mean they're not in the dictionary insurm okay let's talk about calamitous love calamitous means catastrophic and disastrous and falling apart and uncontrollable and cataclysmic what a good word cataclysmic tragic love and guess what her insurmountable grief insurmountable just means unbeatable too great and unconquerable and and yeah just sit with that i'm gonna sit with that right now and i'm probably gonna shed a tear or two uh just for a good measure. I wish that everyone could set aside their their thoughts about Taylor Swift, no matter what they are, their like preconceived thoughts, and just listen to the album as an album because it means so much and it tells so much and it's lyrically so heavy and important and and astonishing and it inspires you to create the way that she does because she just never stops creating and it's it has for sure change the way that my brain thinks about art i'm really so happy that i get to be alive at the same time um but anyways guys thank you for listening today i am probably tormenting you um if you got this far high five pat yourself on the back that's crazy you're stronger than I am because I did not, I don't want to listen to this all the way through. I'm going to have to, um, but it's going to be a little horrific, but I hope you guys like this and I hope it's super informative or makes you just appreciate something in a new way. But yeah, thank you guys for listening and tune in in a little bit 
um, a little bit later and I'll release something normal again and all will be well and you'll have nothing to worry about. I hope your music hits extra hard and you have a really great, awesome, cool, awesome day. Um, yeah, see ya. <laughs>